We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Bellato. We're getting close, baby. We are nearing the start of the 2022 regular season for the Giants. I tweeted about it today. I'll bring it up here on the podcast before we get going, Nick. We're going to do a little news and notes too, by the way. Not too much on the Giants, but a little bit. There's a couple things. We're going to get to the crux of today's podcast. Me and Nick's picks for sleepers breakouts and busts from the Giants, as well as our bold predictions for the Giants season. I think this is always a pretty fun one, but I do want to start off by saying this, Nick, because it just always stands out to me. It's like when you're a fan of this team or when you're covering this team both ways, more so when you're a fan, it's just always so much nicer to just get a freaking win week one. And you have the whole next week to listen to the podcast, to listen to the news, listen to the media talk or oh, the Giants, a sleeper team. They beat the tight, like whatever it may be. You get out to one and oh, it changes everything. Maybe you get out to two and oh, or three and one or two and one. All of those things are great. The Giants have not gotten to any of that in recent years. And so I tweeted about this earlier today, Nick, but the Giants actually haven't won a week one game since 2016. It's unbelievable. We had to deal with a loss every week one since 2016. It's just the state of the franchise since they turned it over to Dave Gettleman in those back end years of Jerry Reese. And in a large part also to do with the fact that like a lot of these teams, they can't find a quarterback or they haven't been able to. Sorry, Daniel Jones lovers. I, I, I hate to say it, but so far he hasn't been that guy. I think that's pretty obvious. Anyone with a pair of eyes, maybe can be, maybe won't. But ultimately, the Giants haven't won a game in their last five season openers. And more importantly, Nick, they haven't even scored more than 17 points in a single one of these games. 17. It's the modern NFL. 17. You know how hard that is to do offensively to be that bad? And they've averaged 12.8 points in, in those five games. Like 12. What the hell are we watching? And then my cousin actually tweeted at me and I repopped it because it was funny. They're not funny. It was insightful. He said the Giants have actually started 0-2 in eight of the last nine seasons. So not even – we have to go through two weeks of that where they're 0-2 and then we're like, uh-oh, they're looking at records of teams that have started 0-3. It's like 11% have made the playoffs. The Giants are basically facing a must-win in the week three game. And then he also said they were 0-3 in four of those seasons and 0-5 
in three of those nine seasons. It's insanity right there. Like literally 0-3 in four of those seasons. So four of the last nine seasons, Giants have been basically eliminated from the playoffs, except for being like that nine to, I think it's like nine or 11% or lower of teams who have started 0-3 have made the playoffs. The Giants were nearly one of them in 07 when they won the Super Bowl, but they won that last game with that goal line stand against the Washington football team, the Redskins at the time, to go one and two and save that season, quote unquote. But man, as he said, I'm just hoping to get to Thanksgiving with the family and that Cowboys game matters, Nick. But let's see what happens. But I just thought those were amazing stats. And if you remember, too, in that 2016 game, Terrence Williams decided to cut it up field yep. instead of going out of bounds to set up a field goal opportunity. And the Giants ended up squeaking out that win because of that terrible decision by Terrence Williams. But you're right, man. It's been beneath mediocrity, the New York Giants. And let's hope that Shane and Dable are the guys to steer this ship into the right direction because it's been pathetic. Yeah, Dable, Shane, and obviously in addition to that, also just having Wink Martindale on the other side of the ball. I really do, do feel like it will give them an edge. Let's start with some news. Leonard Williams had a contract restructure. They converted $17.88 million of his base salary into a signing bonus while adding the void year. This created $12 million in cap space for this year. But at the same time, it also made his 2023 cap number 33 million plus and change. He's now going to be in 2023 the fourth highest paid non-quarterback in the NFL. The fourth highest paid. Just think about that for a second. I love Leonard Williams. He's about to make one of my bold predictions or something in this podcast, which shows I think he's ready for a huge season. But do I think there's any chance he's going to be the fourth best non-quarterback in the NFL next year? No, there is no chance of that. And that's a sad thing because he's not going to be the fourth most impactful non-quarterback next year. John's going to pay him like that. And this is all the product of the last GM and the position that he put Joe Shane in. He had no other option but to create 12 million in cap space here to pay the, and to, to allocate future cap space towards this guy because he's already done it with the Dory Jackson's contract, which we hope is going to work out, but we don't know. He has a massive injury history. And so this is just the reason why the, immediately, me and Nick, immediately, both Nick and I, and you could look back on our podcast, said it was disaster when Gettleman, from a process standpoint, traded a future top 75 pick for Leonard Williams, who was an impending free agent at a time when the Giants were two and six on the season. Think about that. Walk it back. And the minute that happens again with a GM, you should join our side. You should join the side of this guy needs to go. This guy's only going to cause further damage because we didn't know people weren't joining that side. And we dealt with Mara dealing with giving him another two years of disaster. And that's partially why we're in the place we are now. We get two more years to dump money into Kyle Rudolph, to dump money into Logan Ryan, to restructure contracts and push back Nate Solder for another year. All of the moves he made led us to this point. where We are going to be paying Leonard Williams the fourth most of any non-quarterback next year. And it's just a situation they're in. I just think it's a lesson that needs to be learned. It, at this point, Nick, as far as reacting to the news, whatever, I'm fine with it. There's nothing I can say. It's all they could do. There's not a single other contract on the roster they could have restructured. They needed to get under the cap per NFL rules. Zero options for them. So I don't really have any like immediate reaction to it. It's just, to me, it just makes me think of a lesson I learned a long time ago. And hopefully Giants fans learn when it comes to bad general management. Terrible general management, and I get it. They were all in during the 2021 offseason, man, but damn, dude. You look back on it, it's it's horrendous. And with Leonard Williams, if, if you want to look at it from a glass-half-full standpoint, which honestly, it's, it's very difficult to, he's still south of 30 years old. He is only 28 years old, and he is a really good football player. 
that's like the only way that you can look at it to rationalize it to be like, okay, it, it, it could be worse. It could be, say, Kenny Galladay or something like that, who seems to be cooked at this point. Whereas Leonard Williams does have value as an interior pass rusher, and he does have value as a run defender. I mean, just in general, whether you want him to penetrate the gaps or hold the point of attack, he can do all of those things. But dude, that's a lot of money, man. And, and you said it well. I, the fourth highest paid, that's absolutely ridiculous. I, I thought you were going to say the fourth highest paid defensive lineman, let alone the fourth highest paid non-quarterback for that yearly earnings right there. That's 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 asinine. Yeah, for what it counts against the cap, he will be. And look, I like Leonard Williams a lot. I think you need players like him on your roster. I just think when you do what you did to acquire him in a lost season, he needs to be, once you're allocating all this cap space to him, he needs to be close to one of the fourth best non-quarterbacks if you're going to pay him like that. I don't think it's even close. There's several cornerbacks you can take over him, a slew of them, a slew of edges you can take over him, a slew of wide receivers you can take over him. So there are four defensive linemen that are better than, there than are Leonard Williams. linemen that are better than, like, so it just, this is the situation they're in. I don't blame Shane at all. It's literally, as you could tell from his current presser, he's, he's been stressed, this guy. I mean, he's just like, what the hell am I dealing with? What the kind of position did you put me in, Gettleman? And just remember that for all of you who reached out and complained on the, and the whatever it was, I'm not going to get into this too deep, but all the complaints you made about us not giving Gettleman enough time, us being too harsh on Gettleman, but look at what it, it's done to Joe Shane in his first year. He is not able to have James Bradbury on a roster that doesn't have any quarterback, cornerback help, and he wish he could have had that. He has to restructure contracts of players that are either older or have been injured in the past and not performing up to that level. And he has not been able to fill up the depth that he's like to Joe Shane. And that is all because of the last GM. It has nothing to do with what Shane's has made. So we'll move on from there, Nick. That's all. Obviously not the greatest news. Another interesting note and development from our news and notes is that Darius Slayton was excused from Tuesday's practice. Now Slayton obviously made the official 53 has been on the roster since. But this follows a similar trajectory to what happened with Blake Martinez before he was cut. Hopefully, that's not the case for Slayton. Hopefully, maybe they can instead uh, trade him and find a trade partner, a late conditional pick. But what are your thoughts on what this means for Slayton's future with the Giants? I think it's what we said, Dan. Joe Shane was probably trying to shop him, trying to get some sort of value for a player like Darius Slayton, who does provide some value. But right now, I don't have the unofficial depth chart in front of me, but he's not listed as a first stringer. I don't think he's listed as a second stringer. I believe he's listed as a third stringer on the unofficial depth chart. And yes, it is unofficial. But man, you excuse from practice. Last time someone was excused from practice, it was Blake Martinez, and he was out the door the next day. I think Darius Slayton probably isn't long for this roster when Tennessee rolls around. If he is, I hope he earns some snaps because I think he offers something different than these other wide receivers. It just seems from a fiscal standpoint that it doesn't make sense to keep when you're in cap hell, the fifth wide receiver on your roster for 2.5 million, when you could just save that and have someone else step up. That's especially when you're rebuilding like, like they are. And this guy's not going to be here next season. Yeah. And I think part of this is that we learned today that Sterling Shepard is cleared and good to go for week one, which is freaking awesome news for me Great. and for Nick, because we're both big believers in Shepard. I know at this point, we've heard a lot of you comment to us about how much you'd hate Shepard. You're done with Shepard. He's always injured, blah, blah, blah. I don't care what you guys say. When he's on the field, he's creating separation on a consistent basis. He catches almost everything that hits his hands and he takes tough hits and holds on to the football. So 
I don't want to talk about his injury history or his injuries, this and that. Those could obviously pop up again. They've been a big problem for him in his career. But as of now, I'm happy to have him on the week one roster. And I think it's potentially a reason why Slayton might be on the go. And they don't do similar things. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Darius Slayton, to me, is one of the only vertical receivers they have on this roster, assuming Kenny Galladay can't get back to that level um, that he was once at in Detroit. Maybe he can. But they did sign Marcus Johnson today, and maybe he can be viewed as a cheap option for Slayton. Because, yeah, they cleared $11.92 million in cap space restructuring Leonard Williams and adding the void year. But that doesn't even really give them everything they need for the season. Like, they still probably need $2.5 million that getting rid of Slayton can give them. Like, they need money for, for signings in season, for injuries and things of that nature. Yeah, Marcus Johnson, too, he's a pretty damn good athlete. I mean, going back a little bit back in the 2016 draft class, he ran uh, 4.39, so similar to Darius Slayton. He's about six foot, just north of 200 pounds. Had a really quick 20-yard shuttle, really, really impressive broad jump of 135 inches. So he has that baseline athletic ability, at least coming into the NFL, he did. Now, he's bounced around a little bit, was with the Colts for a little while, was with San Francisco. I'm not sure if he'll be activated to the 53-man roster, but back in the day, he was able to stretch teams vertically. And he had some fantasy upside, if I remember correctly, from a couple years back. So he could be an interesting player that the Giants look to bring along onto the active roster if they do struggle to stretch the field in week one against Tennessee. All right, Nick, now let's do some sleepers, breakouts, and busts from the New York Giants. Let's start with a little recap of what might have been a good choice last year. Now, me and Nick didn't actually dig back through and see what our picks were last year. Hopefully, we nailed a couple of these. We probably didn't, though. Let's I think there are two, though, Dan. I yeah, think two breakouts, yes. I think uh, Dexter Lawrence and Xavier McKinney were on our list. Yes, and I think we had Andrew Thomas on our list, actually. Okay, so, you know, I'll, I'll give us a, a thumbs up there. Okay, so here are some good examples from last season of what good sleepers would be. Sleeper pick would be Devontae Booker, right? Ended up being a lot more productive than people realized. At times, he was more productive than Saquon Barkley, even. That would have been a nice pick. Quincy Roche. Another guy who would have been a very nice pick for a sleeper. <laughs> there weren't too many offensive picks that would have been good. That's basically it. Maybe you can dig up a defender who might have made this list. I doubt it. A couple good breakout picks would have been Andrew Thomas, Xavier McKinney. Those are the two we should have nailed for breakouts. I think we got both of those, to be honest. If I remember, we definitely got McKinney. I think we got Thomas, too. A bust pick from last year that would have made sense, Kenny Galladay. We didn't have that one, but that would have made sense. Kyle Rudolph, we didn't have that one, but that would have made sense. Logan Ryan, we didn't have that one, but that would have made sense. Those are good examples of bust picks. So here we go, Nick. Let's start this off. We'll go one by one. We might have the same for some of these. Me and Nick did not compare. We want to keep it real, and if we have the same, we have the same. We don't care. So start us off with a sleeper pick that you have. I'm going to start with defense then, and I'm going to go with Jihad Ward. Jihad Ward has experience in Wink Martindale's system, and you don't find many 290-pound edge rushers who can actually drop to the boundary, kick inside, play one technique in certain situations. He has a very versatile skill set, and according to everyone on the beat, this dude is incredibly personable, and everybody seems to just gravitate towards him. He has that type of personality in the locker room. I think his impact will be felt within the locker room and on the football field. I don't think he's going to be one of these guys who's going to go out there and consistently pressure or sack the quarterback, but you need him to set the edge to the strong side of the offensive formation. He'll do that. He can loop around. He can be a good penetrator. I think he's going to do a lot of the dirty work, and he'll come up clutch in big situations, but I don't think his stats at the end of the day might reflect somebody that's going to be incredibly impactful, but I think he will be impactful in terms of what he's doing between the lines. 
Yeah, I like that call. He screams uh, big blue banter style, you know, sleeper. Somebody who is not putting up box score stats, but when we go over our film reviews weekly, he keeps getting name dropped by us. We keep talking about the little dirty work he did. Almost in some ways like an Austin Johnson, a player who has left the Giants but did make that kind of sleeper impact. So I like that one. I'll start things off with my boy Sterling Shepard as a sleeper for me. Sterling Shepard insanely good recovery from his injury look to be moving great in the practice videos i saw i was looking for how he cut he is a sharp cutter he is a hard cutter more importantly and so it's really important that he still had that ability it looked like he did we won't know until this week but the good news is that we will know this week because Shepard said he's good to go i don't think the giants are going to waste any time getting involved yes it's a new offense yes the terminology is important yes there's option routes and things of that nature but one thing he has over the rest of this crew is a built-in rapport with daniel jones the only receiver on this roster who jones has actually found consistent pace you know a consistent ability to target and successfully target and move the football by throwing the ball to him. So I think Sterling Shepard is a sleeper. He'll make one of my bold predictions, and I like him to have a really good bounce back season. I love that, Dan. I mean, Sterling Shepard, big fan of Sterling Shepard. Just hope he can stay healthy. Honestly, I think any tight end behind Daniel Bellinger. So right now it would be Tanner Hudson. Now, I'm not going to sit here and just wax poetic about Tanner Hudson because he's a relatively unknown player. He doesn't have a lot of production. He was down in Tampa Bay with Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski. What does that speak of him? I'm not even 100% certain. Obviously, that was a good football program down there, but he's still on the roster. In that third preseason game, this dude was aligning as a wide receiver, split out wide. Sometimes he was aligning as, you know, the number two receiver in three by one sets, and he was tasked to stretch the field vertically a couple different times. When you look at the Giants tight end room, who the hell do you really have? You have Daniel Bellinger, who is a rookie, and then you have Chris Myrick, who is kind of an H-back fullback handling those responsibilities. And I think Myrick can also be interesting, but I think I'm going to go with Tanner Hudson here as somebody who nobody is talking about whatsoever but could have an impact this season. But at the same time, I could see him, if he goes out there, drops a pass, and absolutely sucks in week one, he could be cut. That's kind of how thin the margin of success is for Tanner Hudson right now. I like that call, Nick, because we've talked about in the past how, at least from my vantage point, it feels like looking at Brian Dable's scheme and his system, they do want that vertical element out of whoever lines up in that tight end position. I think that was the whole reason for signing a Ricky Seals Jones. Obviously, there's been issues with that signing and he was no longer on the roster. But maybe if this is a guy who can line up out wide and make plays there, he's someone who could also offer a vertical element, something I'm not so sure Daniel Bellinger can. But I do have Daniel Bellinger as my sleeper to make a big impact because it's just a simple math thing for me. I think Bellinger is going to get like 80% of these snaps at maybe 90% of tight end snaps, 80% of overall snaps, 70, 80%. And I think back to what Daniel Jones was able to do with Caden Smith in 2019, when there was actually a competent passing game working for the Giants. And it really was a little overstated how competent that 2019 passing game was. The touchdown numbers were good for Jones, but they actually didn't move the ball that well through the air for the most part, with the exception of a few games. But during the stretch run, when they actually did find some consistency in the pass game with that Washington game and a few of the others, part of that was working through the seam with Caden Smith. And part of that was him finding connection with Caden Smith, something he was really never able to do with Evan Ingram for a myriad of reasons. Ingram's not a great route runner. He's not a great hands catcher. And ultimately, he wasn't a good fit for the Jason Garrett system. And I'm not even sure any tight end would have been able to thrive with Jones in that system. But now you have a guy like Bellinger who simply might have the path based on playing time, based on snaps. And I think he's going to be a sleeper to make a bigger impact than people realize. We may look at these raw numbers at the end and be like, 
oh my God, Daniel Bellinger has X number of perceptions. Look at the rookie giant set ends in the history. We might start to see those puff pieces come out of like the, the uh, I don't want to say any of the, the, uh, the names of some of these giants websites that write articles, but you know, Daniel Bellinger had more receptions for a giants rookie than any rookie in giants history. He's the next best great tight end or like something with the reception number, the yardage number based purely on volume based purely on where I think this offense is going to go from a passing standpoint, but who cares? I'll take it, man. And if he's making that kind of impact, he's obviously not dropping passes. He's obviously finding a way to get open and making tough catches. So he's a sleeper for me, for sure. Mark Bavaro 2.0. Is he Jeremy Shockey? All the all the puff pieces there. No, Jeremy I love that Shockey call. I'm a big Daniel. Two receptions his rookie year. Daniel Bellinger had 53. <laughs> I can hear those puff pieces though. So one other guy that I have on this list, and I don't even know if it's really a, a sleeper because the Giants just gave him a three-year contract. I'm looking at this just from a significant upgrade over what we saw last year. I, I just want to put him on this list, and that's Mark Lewinsky. This is somebody who is a consummate professional, somebody who doesn't necessarily, you don't look at him, he's not Quentin Nelson, you know, like his former teammate, but he is just a professional. I think he can be a slightly, maybe a slightly less effective, but I don't even, that's, see, that's disparaging though. I think he could be like a Kevin Zeitler for this team. I'll just say that. I think he could be like a, a 2020 Kevin Zeitler for the New York Giants. So that's somebody who is going to come in here and he's going to just be an absolute sturdy rock in terms of pass protection, not making too many mistakes. And I don't even love him in pass protection. I really like him as a run blocker. But I think in terms of picking up stunts and those things that Will Hernandez really was deficient at, I think he'll really fix that up and make the life of Evan Neal so much easier and the life of the center, more than likely John Feliciano. So with that, I'm going to go with Mark Holinsky. I don't really know if he's a sleeper because the Giants just signed him, but still, I think the upgrade that he's going to provide to the offensive line can't be understated. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then OddsTrader.com is the place for you. OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. OddsTrader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day weather, and Bet Tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to oddstrader.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's oddstrader.com slash BLUEWIRE. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. 
That's what it is. He's a sleeper in my mind because of what you just said, Nick. Like, yeah, people are thinking about him. He's not a sleeper in that standpoint. But in the impact he's going to make just to have that kind of short thing at right guard that they haven't had last year with Will Hernandez at all and that at last year at the left guard position either, to have one short thing at guard makes such a big impact on the entire offense, run and pass game. So from that standpoint, I think he's a sleeper for sure. Another sleeper for me would be Micah McFadden. After what's gone down in the inside linebacker group, I know it doesn't look like it now. Austin Caletro made the first depth chart over Micah, and obviously you got Tate Crowder in there. But I think that by the mid-season point, we might be seeing something interesting going on with the snap counts for all three of those players. And Micah McFadden is a guy that's handpicked for the system. His skill set fits the system. There are going to be some downs and distances where they'd rather have Micah McFadden on the field than any of those other linebackers based on what they think he can offer as a pass rusher. That's or those are specific situations. They're not going to come up all the time, but they will come up at some time. I think he can make a bigger impact in those situations than any other linebacker on inside linebacker on this roster right now. So he's another sleeper for me. And I'll wrap up my sleepers because I think that those that's it for yours. But you can correct me if I'm wrong with Benny Bredesen, my boy, Benny. I know. Look, we have some situation that we weren't expecting and hoping for at left guard. Shane Lemieux on IR. Who knows when he's coming back? It doesn't sound great based on what Dable has said about the situation. Azudu, another weird injury we don't know much about. Haven't seen him on the field in a while. So who's left, at least from, I guess, a health standpoint? And one of those guys is Ben Bredesen. And Ben Bredesen was listed as, as a left guard on the first depth chart, I believe. Either left guard or right guard. I thought he was listed at the starting left guard. And that means he might have the opportunity. It might be a little insight into what we're going to see this Sunday. And I do feel like based on the little film we saw of him in the preseason, he was making big steps. I think based on the film we saw of him at Michigan, he's a player who could surprise people. So it wouldn't surprise me if he earns this job with a good performance early on. If we're the, if we're going back through our film after week one, we're like, you know what? Looking at some surprising sleeper players, because by the way, me and Nick have been discussing off pod. We'll talk a little bit more about this later uh, on another pod, but we may have some new ideas for how we want to break down the film this season, different kind of segments, things of that nature, instead of going play by play, quarter by quarter. But we may look at that film and say, look, Ben Bredesen was playing pretty damn well on tape. And the Giants are going to see that when they watch the film back. And maybe they just don't give that job up. So he's my last pick for a sleeper. One more deep sleeper, Dan. And I wanted to get your take on this. I think Jason Tinnock, the guy the Giants just signed from the New York Jets, could be a deep sleeper here because Dane Belton missed so much at training camp. He could be behind the eight ball. And you know Wink Martindale is going to employ these packages with three safeties, maybe even sometimes four safeties. And you want some safeties who are good in run support, some beefier safeties, some smart safeties. Pinnock, if you guys want, go check out the Big Blue View piece I did on him. He was in that system with Robert Sala where they ran a lot of match type of principles, a lot of palms type of coverages, quarters type of coverages where you have to read the release of the wide receiver and then stick to him in man coverage. So he has man coverage upside and he's a physical asset who is long. I think you can align him in the box as like a star and big dollar dime type of packages. And I think he could find his way onto the football field. That's a deep sleeper. And I'm not 100% confident about that because we haven't seen it yet, right? But I think if we're looking back, you know, three weeks from now, we're like, yo, Pinnock, man, he's out there, you know, playing 20 snaps a game doing X, Y, and Z. I'm not going to be overly shocked given the state of the Giants roster and the way they're going to have to account for their lack of depth at linebacker. I think Pinnock makes a lot of sense as a good call by you, Nick, because you we talk about steady drum beats a lot on this on this show. And I think that you've kind of had a steady drum beat for Pinnock since the Giants claimed him. I know we talked about it off pod. It hasn't been as much on pod, but you just like what you saw from this kid. 
And for all these waiver claims, I'm always a little skeptical of any kind of impact they're actually going to make because they are waiver claims that have been passed through. And I just through the years of covering this team, I haven't noticed too many that have hit for the Giants. But this may be one that actually can because he plays a specific role in a specific position that may not ultimately be valued by every team, especially if they have other players who can play that role. It's so unique and specific that they're probably not going to carry two players on the roster who do the same thing. Giants don't have anyone on this roster who can really do it. They lost to Bill Peppers, obviously. Logan Ryan no longer with the team, though. I never really liked him in that role. So it could be interesting. They don't have the depth that you would hope for at safety. And everyone's kind of assuming it will be Jefferson, but but ultimately, maybe it will be Pinnock. We'll have to see. I mean, I'm going to have to do something. And there's somebody else I'm going to be talking about in the breakout section that could limit the upside of a player like Pinnock. All right. Well, we did sleepers. Let's save breakouts for last. Or no, let's do breakouts and then save the, 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 the crappy one for last. The one no one wants to go over, but we should. So let's go to breakouts. We have the same main breakout. So I'll let you give your spiel and then I'll give mine. Yeah, it's Saquon Barkley, man. And I'm not just buying into the hype of him, you know, going on podcasts and cursing and kind of stepping out of the framework of the personality that he's shown since he arrived in New York. But when you just think about it, this is a running back who was a rare talent as an athlete who was a year removed from a torn ACL in a system with an offensive mind who knows how to maximize the pieces within his system. Then you'll look at the Giants receiving core and you're like, bro, I don't know who's going to be healthy, who's going to be effective. If Kenny Galladay can even run routes like an NFL, like even a back end NFL receiver, there's just a lot of question marks there. So what is this offense going to run through? It's going to run through Saquon Barkley. And the significant upgrades the Giants made on the offensive line, I still think there's going to be some warts and some bumps in pass protection, but I think the run blocking is going to be okay. And I think he's going to be used pretty damn effectively as a receiver. So I look at Saquon Barkley, man, and I really do think he's going to have a breakout season that looks a lot like what we saw in 2018. Yeah, it's weird to call it a breakout since he did technically already break out as a rookie, but he's been so bad since. I'm not really so bad. He's only really was bad last year. Other years he was injured and actually performed when he was healthy. Last year he was the first time he was like playing and not producing. But it still is a post, post, post type breakout. And that's what we're going to call it. And I do ultimately think that he can have as good a season literally by the numbers as he did in that 2018 season. For me, it just comes down to what I saw in the preseason. I think that for now, at least with what Brian Daves has to work with at the quarterback position, there is going to be a shit ton of check down, excuse my language, a crap ton of check downs to the running back. What the hell did we see in that last preseason game? And I think Antonio Williams got like four targets or something absurd with Daniel Jones. And I think he had like seven targets from Jones in the preseason or some absurd numbers. From how I'm reading this offense from the film we watched in the preseason, it's a lot of hit that quick out to the running back if things aren't looking good otherwise and make sure that you get it there fast. And I think that Barkley is a really realistic shot of, of triple-digit targets, and we'll talk about my final prediction. It's a bold one for how many receptions, but that's the key for me thinking the breakout's coming. I think it's a, just a slew of touches, to, like maybe 25 to 30 touches on average a game. They're really going to work him. They have no reason not to. He's a free agent next year. This, to me, I know John Mara loves Saquon Barkley, and if somehow Gettleman was still here, we would definitely resign Saquon Barkley. But I really am strongly believing that Joe Shane has zero interest in committing long-term future cap space, 
right? Especially right after he did work so hard to clear his cap situation for the future, right? He puts in all this work and he still didn't even really get to do everything he wanted to. I am so damn sure Joe Shane had no interest in restructuring Leonard Williams and Adoree Jackson's contract. Two contracts he did not sign. Dave Gettleman signed both of those, but he had to. There was no other option. That's the dead cap Gettleman left him with, but he's worked so hard to clear up a nice cap situation for the future. I highly doubt he's going to be pouring guaranteed money into a running back with an ACL, an MCL tear, multiple high ankle sprains, and other issues uh, for the future. When the running back shelf life these days is basically 26 and a half and done and done. The 27-year-olds who produce are almost another, nothing these days as you go up. So what's the point of resigning him at what, 25 he's going to be, Saquon Barkley at that point, so with the injury history. So I think they're going to run him into the ground. I think the whole offense will run through him, both in the pass game and the run game. Because quite frankly, that's that's all I think they're going to be confident in doing at the beginning of the season, at least with all the time these receivers have missed. So for me, it's mostly a receptions thing. It's mostly a t- total touches thing. And I think he's going to be able to really do a lot with them. So he's my first breakout pick. And, you know, he also has the upside to to just hit a run, hit a crease and just take it the distance. He, he has that well within his skill set. And we've seen that at the NFL level. But you're right, man. What we saw from a scheme standpoint is very interesting in preseason. Yes, it's preseason. And, you know, you might be playing a lot of softer zone coverages that could be surrendering catches to the flat. But we saw a lot of intermediate crossing routes from the Brian Dable offense, right? Whenever they were dropping back and they weren't doing RPOs. And then what would they do? Sometimes they would keep the running back in as an initial six-man protection and then leak him out. Sometimes it was just right off the snap. He would go right to the flat. And that catch was always there. And Daniel Jones was taught, read the safety or read whatever you're being taught to read on the back end. See if anything is coming open from your first or second read. And if it's not there, check it down, check it down. And that's something that it seemed like was drilled into his head within this offense. Check it down, pick up some yardage, live to fight another day, get yourself into some advantageous third down situations, or just get the ball to playmakers in the flat. And I just think Saquon Barkley is going to benefit so damn much from that, Dan. So I love that call. And that little scheme pickup that we had there, that's like the little edge you can get. It's why I had Saquon Barkley ranked as my RB6 in my fantasy rankings, well above of consensus. I took him at the one-two turns in some drafts. I like him over Kamara types. I like him over DeAndre Swift types. I like him over just about any back. I would even make the case that after Taylor and McCaffrey and Eckler, I could take him over any of those backs, to be completely honest with you. Based on that little thing we picked up that I don't think a lot of the people drafting with you or industry experts are picking up, watching the scheme, watching all those targets funnel to Antonio Williams, and just seeing what the Giants have from a, I guess, familiarity standpoint in the rest of their passing game right now. Because right now, there just isn't many, there haven't been that many reps between Daniel Jones and Kadarius Tony, between Daniel Jones and Sterling Shepard, within this new system at least, between Daniel Jones and Kenny Galladay, at least targets-wise, and then obviously between Daniel Jones and Wondell Robinson. So right now, I do think it, it is a Saquon Barkley offense until further notice. All right, Nick, give me another breakout pick. I have Dane Belton as a breakout pick here now. I think he's going to be slowed down initially because of that collarbone injury that he seems to be recovered from at this point. But I think when you look at the New York Giants, you look at the defense like we went over, they're going to be using a lot of different multiple safety looks. You know, three safeties, sometimes four safeties. We saw at Iowa Dane Belton align in the box sometimes and actually be pretty damn solid in that role. And we also know that Dane Belton is a ball hawk. He does a great job selling certain coverages. Like he's going to go on the out route on the slant flat and then coming back and working under the slant portion, coming away with interceptions. He did that. And he really did a good job kind of 
manipulating the quick game of opposing Big Ten offenses. Now, the NFL is a different animal, but I think the processing of Dane Belton, you hear players like Julian Love talk about Dane Belton and how Dane Belton is really, really smart, a really, really smart player. He has that Iowa type of work ethic. I think if there is a breakout and a young breakout as a rookie, I think Dane Belton could be that. Now, I don't really know what a breakout means, Dan, but if he can get you know three interceptions, four interceptions somehow, he's not going to play in every down roll. But if he can just come in on certain third downs and come away with some big plays in those third downs, that to me is a breakout. Doesn't mean he's an every down player because I don't think he'll be that this season, but I do think he can make game-changing plays when asked to. And I think that is something that you're looking for from the younger players. That to me constitutes a breakout. And that would be such a great thing for us as Giants podcasters and for us as Giants fans because we haven't really hit on one of these Day three picks. We thought we had something in Darius Slade, and it appears to not be the case. And they need to hit on something here. Julian Love, I guess, is somewhat of a hit there in that regard. Borderline, but okay, I'll give him that. But an actual hit, like a belt, somebody from this this D3 really hitting as a as a core piece they can move forward with, that would be huge. So I like that pick, and I hope it comes true. My next pick is going to be Aziz Ojolari. I went back and forth earlier in the offseason. I predicted Kayvon Thibodeau as a really good chance at Rookie of the Year. After watching through the preseason and kind of formulating my head how this defense is going to look, I think both will get a lot of opportunities. But my best guess is that NFL defensive and all, sorry, NFL offensive coordinators are just going to, for whatever reason, take Kayvon Thibodeau a little more seriously than Aziz Ojolari. And based on that, Ojolari is my pick to break out. It's whoever's getting less attention from the opposing offense is going to have a chance to put up better stats. In addition to that, I like the little flash I saw of Aziz before he got injured in the preseason. I think he's done some different things with his game that's going to improve. I like that he has year two, year one under the belt, where he had an opportunity to actually work on his pass rushing moves, to learn, to get better. He's put on muscle. He's done everything that you hope for a potential breakout pick. He's put his body in the position to break out, and he's put his mind in the position to break out by adding to his repertoire of pass rushing moves. Remember, this was a player that Nick was okay with taking in the first round last year. For, for I mean, it wasn't his first choice, but he was okay with it. He had a really high grade on him last year. We both had a really high grade on Ojolari. We got him all the way at pick 50 or whatever because of the knee thing that some people were scared off of, but we viewed him as a potential, not cave on Thibodeau level of pass rushing prospect because he really wasn't that, but that next level of prospect, really not too far behind. So he's my pick for the breakout uh, this year. I think I have one more breakout. I personally don't think it's a breakout, but I think a lot of people would perceive it as a breakout, and that's Dexter Lawrence, who earned a captain spot within this defense. Look, I, I think the perception around Dexter Lawrence is a little bit off, in in my opinion, but I think it also kind of stems from the fact that this guy was selected in the top 20 of the 2019 draft. And I think that's kind of used against him because he doesn't have the type of sack production as other interior defensive linemen, but he does all the dirty work. And I think he is a better pass rusher than he's given credit for. And I think there's going to be so much pressure put on him and Leonard Williams, not just as pass rushers, but as dudes who are going to have to stop the run and be that first line of defense to hold blocks up and to keep Micah McFadden and Tay Crowder clean from 320-pound offensive linemen climbing and locating them. There's going to be a ton of pressure on them. The fact that he is a captain now and the fact that this scheme it might not lead to a lot of sack production from Dexter Lawrence, which people won't like to hear, but I think the team itself can have more sacks. And I think that's going to be a product of what Dexter Lawrence is doing that does not come up on the stat sheet, similar to what we were talking about with Jahad Ward. So the fact that he is a captain, the fact that he 
did have his fifth year option picked up. And the fact that I think he's really damn talented and really damn strong, I'm going to put Dexter Lawrence in here as well. I feel a similar way about Leonard Williams this year, to be honest. I think he's going to have his best season as a Giant just based on adding if Aziz and Thibodeau can stay healthy. And with obviously, in my mind, the key here being the upgrade and scheme for what he can do. I thought he looked really good in camp, like lighter than he's looked. Leonard Williams, maybe the best shape I've seen him in with the Giants. Now, he was sporting like a left, a brace on his left arm for one of the last pressers. That could screw him up the whole season. I've seen that happen with players like George Kittle, who screwed up their shoulder and weren't the same and weren't effective. But we'll see, especially those players in the edge, you know, on the actual line or those tight ends and edges who have to really engage all the time with their arms. We'll see if that impacts him. But if he's healthy, the shape he was looking in, the system upgrade and actually having some weapons on the edge that people have to worry about, I think he could have his best season. But my last pick for breakout would actually be Adoree Jackson. I just feel like he was so rocked in the entire training camp, the entire preseason. Everything I saw from him was a player who was in the best shape that I've seen with the Giants. It's only been two years, but still. And just locked into everything they were doing from a schematic standpoint and for where he had to be. He was breaking on, on the passes underneath. He was breaking on the runs and the and the quick the quick passes and the runs. And he was locked in in man-to-man coverage. So I think Adore Jackson would be my last breakout pick. I love that call too. I think Adore Jackson, if he stays healthy, is gonna be one of the most important players on this defense. Like if he gets hurt, man, this defense, this defense is probably not gonna be as good as we'd like. To, to be honest, I mean, I love Wink Martindale. I think it's going to be really fun to watch, but I don't know how good they're going to actually right. be. I think we're going to like rave about, yo, did you see that pressure they brought on the third and six? Wow, that was crazy. But then they give up like, you know, two breakout touchdowns that go for like, you know, 40 yards or something. We're going to be a little bit upset about that. Yeah. And just thinking about that, Nick, what you just said, it just makes me think, man, you know, there's been this long debate. What's more important, edge rushers or corners? So hard for me to not think corner when you say something like that. And I agree with it as wholeheartedly as I do, right? Because they're nothing without a Dory Jackson this year. He's not even like, at least hasn't yet proven to be the most elite corner in the NFL. And that just goes to show, man, what you, how important these outside corners are not only in the end, not only in the giant system where it really hype hyper focuses on the importance of it because it's such a man coverage based system, but overall in the NFL, you need guys who can cover on the outside. As I look forward to this 2023 draft, man, and potentially even 2023 free agency, probably not there because they're probably not going to be that team that does this under Shane, but I'm looking for man corners. I'm looking for them now. I'm looking for them all the time. It's a position where I now feel you can never have too much depth. Well, think about it, man. The, the, the rules of the NFL have changed so drastically, Dan, to support offensive output. You need guys who can cover. Like you have Devontae Adams, Stefan Diggs, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, these absolute studs all around the NFL. Who the hell is covering them when the rules are catered and tailored to them having success? It's so difficult to find those types of reactive athletes. And I think Adore Jackson has the upside to the upside to be like a top 15 corner in the league. I don't think he is right now, but I think there is upside to get to that. And if he could stay healthy and really, really just have a best year of his career at what is he like 26 years old, that's plausible, right? And if he could do that, that's, that's a great step in the right direction for the New York Giants defense with Wink Martindale. It's just what's going to happen on the other side. That's, that's the big question mark right now. Without a doubt. All right, let's get into some busts, Nick. I'll start with my first bus. It looks like we have the same thing now, just looking at the doc. Again, we didn't discuss this beforehand. We do have our same main breakout and bus pick. Unfortunately for me, it is going to be Kenny Galladay. It's hard to not be a bus when you're paid as much as he is, unless you actually contribute a lot. I'm now less so worried about him contributing a lot. I'm more so worried about him contributing at all. 
I think when the actual regular season starts, he's going to be a much better player than he was in the preseason. You'll see more of the deep digs that he's going to be able to thrive on. You'll see more of the routes than the Giants, you know, running an offense that and a system that kind of caters to allowing him to make more plays. But I'm not sold on that because he just didn't look like he was the same player in the preseason that the Giants signed from the 2019 Detroit Lions season. And again, it is hearsay, but I have heard from the person who worked on his surgery that hip's never going to be the same. And a hip surgery isn't in general a great thing. Like, I'm surprised the Giants weren't a little more skeptical of a hip surgery for a wide receiver. For any athlete that plays football, like, when you're redoing your hip, man, that's a big factor in your overall athleticism. And if you are the same player, like, we see names. Names are not the same. Like, we look at a name post-injury, and a, and a name cannot be the same pre-injury as post-injury. Some players just never get back that athleticism. Jimmy Graham is the best example of this to me. He was still signed by multiple teams. The Bears at the end signed to some ludicrous contract. And he just was never the same player post-Achilles that he was pre. And just because he had the Jimmy Graham name, doesn't mean he was Jimmy Graham anymore. And I'm now concerned Kenny Galladay is not Kenny Galladay anymore. And I think he's going to bust in this system. I think in this season with the Giants, I think that Daniel Jones is not a good quarterback for him. Uh, I just don't really like anything about his profile within this system. And I hope I'm wrong, man, because they're paying him so much and they really don't have too much opportunity to dump him next year either. Even by the way, like they'll have to take on another ton of dead cap if they want to cut him next year. But right now, I just feel like he's aligned to be a potential bust. I think Daniel Jones can actually be a good quarterback for him, though, because whenever you have those one-on-one -on -one matchups, Daniel Jones throws a solid deep ball. It's just on Kenny Galladay to create enough separation for Daniel Jones to feel comfortable throwing that deep ball. And it's on Kenny Galladay to actually climb that ladder and secure that 50-50 catch, which isn't something that we've seen since his time here in New York. Now, I can give him a little bit of a leeway because... Jason Garrett was not somebody who wanted to target Kenny Galladay all that often in those 50-50 catch situations. And we chastised Jason Garrett. But I think it's fair right now, at least from what we've seen, and it might be a little premature, but I think it's somewhat fair to at least start to question. Maybe Jason Garrett wasn't just a fool. He just looked at Kenny Galladay and was like, dude, this guy's not winning these 50-50 balls in practice. Why am I going to waste opportunity to throw the football to him when the game arrives? That's all fair. I think you nailed it. I would give a little pushback on the Jones thing just because I think Jones is a great touch deep ball thrower and a good anticipatory deep ball thrower. I think it's the only area of the field he throws with good anticipation. But when I watch some of that, when I rewatch even this offseason, some of what Galladay did so well with Stafford, a lot of those were just tight window rips, man. A lot of those were like in breakers deep or like kind of deep post type patterns where you need a lot of velocity to get the ball there, like Stafford level velocity. Daniel Jones doesn't have anywhere near that level of velocity. He can throw some touch balls to the outside and maybe a few away from the frame. But I just I thumped some of those throws. And this is, again, a lot on Stafford, like maybe a lot of why I liked watching Galladay's film was because he was making these sick catches down the field. And they were like 19 to 20 yarders on average. But a lot of them were just Stafford ripping the ball with a high velocity into windows that weren't really open. That zip that Stafford has right. on the ball and the anticipation that he throws, he can throw it well before Kenny Galladay comes out of his break. The defender has no chance to react when the ball is placed perfectly to coincide with Kenny Galladay coming out of the break. I don't know if Daniel Jones has that type of anticipatory skill set and that type of velocity to hit those in-breaking routes consistently with a player who doesn't create separations right. and who separation and who is not smooth in and out of his breaks like a Kenny Galladay. Yeah, I think that that nails it, unfortunately, for us. So he's a bus pick. You don't have any other bus picks, so I'll get into a couple of mine, or maybe you, you came up with some of the last and you could jump in. But 
Another one for me that I know is not one for you, so I'm hoping you're right on this one, Nick. But another one for me is going to be Aaron Robinson. There's just too much on his plate. He's a third-round rookie who was mostly effective in the slot at college. My mind doesn't have the athletic. I know we disagree on this. I'm not sold. He has the athleticism. I, first of all, it's not his fault, by the way, for me to say this. I feel like there's just like only a handful of players who can hold up in man coverage on the outside as a boundary corner in the NFL. It's like, most of them are first-round picks. Maybe you find a couple seconds here and there, but it's so rare to find these third and later guys who have the athleticism to play on an island without safety help with a coordinator like Wink Martindale, who's not going to give you help a lot of the time. And I just don't know if I believe Aaron Robinson's that type of guy in year two after missing a lot of year one with course with the core muscle surgery and not really getting too many reps on the outside. Now he's asked to do a lot of techniques. He wasn't really that he's being taught this year. It's just so much to throw on the plate for a third round, second year player. And so for me, I think he's going to really bust. I think they're going to heavily target him. I think they're going to look away from from uh, Dory Jackson most of the time and just really target whoever he's guarding. And I think that's going to be a big problem for him. I don't disagree with that. I think Aaron Robinson has the ability to be good. That doesn't mean he will be good. I think those right. two things are separate of each other. And I think Aaron Robinson sure. has to seize the opportunity that is in front of him. And there is an opportunity in front of him. But guess what Ryan Tannehill and Todd Downing are going to do week one? Oh. I'm not going to target a Dory Jackson. I'm going to target that kid yeah. over there who did not look good during the preseason. And it's going to be on Aaron Robinson at that moment to be instinctual, to be disciplined when he is impressed with his feet and his hips, and to just be a more aware cornerback when the football is in the air. That's one of my biggest criticisms of Aaron Robinson is when the football is airborne, I feel like Aaron Robinson just kind of throws his arms up, flailing a little bit, doesn't really get his head locked around and locates the football, which is also something that can lead to some penalties. So I definitely have my reservations about Aaron Robinson, but I do think he has athletic capabilities to handle these responsibilities it's just is he going to put it all together that's kind of my main thing and i'm not confident that he is right now i'm really not yeah i, I feel that i i guess that that makes a lot of sense to me nick where you're at with it i i think he can too i don't think he's like top end athlete but i think he can too but i just think right away can he do this year two after getting no reps learning a new system all these new techniques just so much to throw on his plate i think he's ultimately unfortunately going to be the biggest weakness on this defense by far and that's why he has to be a bus pick for me. It's that or linebacker. Well, but, yes. the, but the thing about linebackers, though, around it a little bit more, right? You can scheme around like with Winkman. Like, I don't know if they're going to be wanting to roll a lot of safety help over the top of Aaron Robinson with a lot of the unique stuff they're going to do from a pressure package standpoint and from just a defensive standpoint. So you got to be trusted sometimes just mano y mano. And he has to rise to the occasion there. And he didn't really too much in preseason. Yeah, versus linebacker where I think a lot of it can be hidden just with the scheme and with Wink just sending a lot of these run blitz type calls and just getting a lot of bodies in there. I think that's going to help, especially if, like you said, Pinnock can play a role there as kind of that star, that big defender there. could be a way to kind of lessen the blow of having Tate Crowder or Colitro as your bat inside backers to start the season. All right, that's all the time we have for today on the Big Blue Banter Podcast. On the next episode, we will get into those bold predictions I mentioned. And we're also going to do some stat predictions, projections from Nick, and I'll play the over-under game. I think we did this last season. It was fun. I probably had too many overs, even though I had a lot of unders, just for that offense. But we'll see what happens this year. So stay tuned. Keep it locked and loaded. And we'll talk to you soon. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. 
The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com